This is episode three of the Sovereign Path podcast. I'm your host, Devin, and this episode is dedicated to all of the veterans who have served in the global war on terror, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, and to the countless lives sacrificed and lost in those 20 years. So today I have a guest on who, like me, is a veteran of the Afghan conflicts. He's also discovering what masculine Christianity is all about. He's a man who I'm honored to call my friend. His name is Cody Ford. And for those of you on Instagram, you may know him by his account called the Christian War Journal. Cody, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast today, brother. Uh, you're welcome, Devin. Excited to be here. Yeah, man, me too. Um, really looking forward into digging into how you started the Christian War Journal and your perceptions on masculinity and also your perceptions on the Army as well as being a soldier and being a veteran. So tell me, what compelled you to start the Christian War Journal? Well, so the Christian War Journal, I mean, that's, it, it started as a, you know, it's kind of just my personal blog and I've always considered myself a writer. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I wrote for the school newspaper. I was the editor of the paper my senior year. Um, and then, you know, when I was in college, you know, I did a lot of writing. Um, you know, I, I had my degree is in history, but I have an English minor. So um, I wrote a lot of essays and creative writing type stuff then. Um, but since, I don't know, since I, I got out of the army, you know, I've always tried to write things on the side, just kind of try to give my take on, you know, some of the stuff that's, that's happened, happening in the world. And then I think, I think the Christian war journal, I started well, right before COVID took place in early 2020. And, um, I just wanted to use it as a, you know, like I said, a personal blog, um, and just kind of write some of my thoughts on some of the stuff um, that was happening in the world, because even, even then before uh, COVID took place, you know, obviously we've, our society and culture has been on this sort of declining um, direction as far as, you know, just negative things happening, just the, some of the degeneracy in, in the culture and just kind of losing specifically the United States, losing sort of its religion um, and I wanted to, to write about that stuff in my blog um, and, you know, the Christian War Journal. I mean, the, the name of it is kind of kind of has, you know, different meanings that you could interpret because, um, you know, coming from a military background, obviously I have, you know, I've been to war. I've, I've, there's a physical aspect of war, but also there's a spiritual aspect of it. So the name kind of plays off of that. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Um, war, I think especially for people who have never been deployed or never been in the military, but it's very obvious the physical aspects of it, you know, as soldiers, Marines, you know, sailors, airmen, no matter what branch you're in, you're expected to be fit and be able to you know, be physically capable. But I, what's not talked about as much are the spiritual consequences and the pressures of it. And of course, what's coming to light more and more, and I'm glad for it are the psychological uh, effects of it as well you know soldiers are talking about their ptsd and their depression their anxiety all the mental 
aspects of the game, but what isn't addressed enough, I feel, is the spiritual aspects. And it's not that we didn't have chaplains available to us. Of course we did, but I don't see that brought up as much as I do physical issues or mental health issues. You know, um, the spiritual side of things isn't really spoken about that much, which is surprising because I served with a lot of Christians and I also served with Muslims, pagans, you know, Hindus, Buddhists. I served from, with men from probably about every religious background I can think of. So for you being a Christian in the army, um, how, you know, how often was your faith tested? I would imagine it was a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say often, but um, it's it's interesting to think about because, and I don't know that I think this way, but before when I joined the army, I think I had a different outlook of kind of intertwining your Christian faith with um, military service in, in, in the United States. You know, I think before some of these wars, I think we've always, a lot of people have always kind of, you know, coupled those two that if you're a, a patriotic Christian American, then you support the military and mm-hmm. you may not join the military, but, you know, if you go into it, you sort of have that as sort of your um, backbone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until after I was out of the military that maybe I started to question if, if some of that was, you know, correct or relevant. But, um, you know, at least in the household that I grew up in, because, you know, I grew up in a very spiritual household. My, my grandfather was a Baptist minister, so I was in church all the time. Um, my, my dad, before I was born, he was in the Air Force. So, you know, all of that stuff, Christian faith with sort of American patriotism kind of went hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as my, my faith being tested in the military, you know, I don't, I don't know. I always sort of felt like when I was serving, when I was, you know, even deployed, like I, I was, it was part of my mission, what I was supposed to be doing. And I, I'm, I felt like I had like, um, almost like a, a protection around me, you know, because of my faith. Wow, man, that's, um, I wish I could have said the same. Cause I, um, I come from a Christian background myself. I was raised Baptist and the Bible belt in East Texas and, I remember going to Iraq when I was 19 and it kind of just broke my faith seeing how people were living over there. You know, at the time my faith wasn't really that strong. And, um, and I, I've seen a lot of men like men I went to boot camp with, they'd come in and they were, you know, very devout Christians had a very strong faith. And then later on, just, just due to their experiences, they would become very jaded you know, and a lot of them would stray away from religion and they would fall into degenerate habits. And I'm speaking as much for myself as I am these other guys I'm talking about. So for you, what would you say, what would you say helped you maintain your faith throughout your service? Because you were, you went through some pretty traumatic affairs, you know, from what you and I have spoken about within our own circles. You've been through some, you know, really rough shit in Afghanistan in particular. So what um, what about you as far as how you were going with like I'm trying to say this right? What helped you maintain your faith in God and your relationship with Christ? Um, just for me, I mean, I've I've had you know this just this 
spiritual faith that was ingrained in me as a as a you know boy and I grew up with that and joining the military and and I have the one thing that I'm thankful for I have always had a tremendous amount of support from from my family back home mm-hmm. so like I said my my grandfather was a was a Baptist minister my um you know everyone on my side of the family went to church and grew up with very strong faith my wife her her dad is a pastor so I always felt as though I had this strong family behind me back home, praying for me and keeping me safe. Um, and I think that really helped me get through some of the stuff um, that I did. I would also say that maybe some of it made me a little bit reckless when I especially my first deployment I, in Afghanistan and I was a platoon leader. I remember, um, so I had gotten to our unit halfway through their deployment um, in 2010. Well, I got to the beginning of 2010. They had already been there for um, four or five months. And, and the unit I was in, part of um, 5-2 infantry out of Fort Lewis, mm-hmm. and our battalion, they had taken, I think, 21 casualties that fall um, in Kandahar. It was one of the hardest hit battalions you know, in, in the war. Mm-hmm. as far as the army goes and they had a really rough time but at the time I got there things had calmed down for them mm-hmm. and I remember all of my guys with the platoon I, I took over they were kind of worn out and burnt out from the war and I was like this young you know fresh face butter bar looking for action and I just <laughs> I just remember pushing my guys so far because I wanted I wanted to get some of that action that they had experienced and um I, I was pretty naive, but I think some of it was just, I know some of it was my faith because I felt kind of invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, and silly as that sounds. Um, and fortunately, the rest of the deployment really wasn't that bad. There wasn't um, a lot of uh, action that happened. Um, mostly we just found a bunch of IEDs as opposed to getting into, um, you know, gunfights or anything. And I think our battalion only had lost one more guy the rest of the deployment. So I made it home safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, just that, that faith. Um, and then the second, my second deployment was in 2012. Um, and I was a company XO in the same, the same battalion and we we're in a different part of Afghanistan and it was a little more dangerous. And, um, you know, like I've mentioned to you and some of the other guys, you know, I did actually get um, shot on our base and medevaced out with the broken leg. So um, that changed my perspective, but I guess I've always been a little, I've been thankful that it could have been worse. Um, you know, I got hit with a bullet in the knee and it shattered my leg and it messed up my knee. But, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, that that bullet could have been, you know, a foot higher, you know, a couple inches, you know, to the right or left, could hit an artery, something right. where, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I um, contribute, you know, that to my faith mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what you were saying about being this, you know, fresh face butterfly, butter bar who was, you know, just looking for action. I remember being the same way as a private. I was, I was ready for action. I, it's, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't sign up to kill people. I know guys who did. I know guys who just straight up said, you know, I'm here to kill people. I'm like, 
okay, dude, like stay away from me. But um, it was something that I accepted. I was like, okay, there's a very real chance here that I might have to do that. And, and there's a very real chance that I could also get killed or grievously wounded. You know, I, um, I had spent a little time at Fort Sam Houston and they got the, um, I think it's called Bansy Brook Army Medical Center where they had the burn victim unit. Okay. And so I, I had seen some of the horrible things that other men had survived. And I was just thinking to myself every day, like, man, I hope that's not me. I hope that's not me. You know, it's like, it was weird because I wanted to be in the heat of battle to test myself, but I didn't <laughs> want to accrue any of the damage, which is, you know, the kind of thing that I was thinking of as an 18 year old naive teenager who had never been outside of the continental U S <clears throat> and, um, you know, Iraq was pretty tame by the time I got there. I deployed there to Mosul on Fab Merez back in 2010. And, you know, we had a few we had a few super tense moments of getting shot at, having grenades thrown at us. And some of our guys did get wounded by shrapnel. But thankfully, none of our men got killed in combat. None of our guys um, got wounded any more than some minor shrapnel. I personally didn't get physically wounded, which I'm, you know, I'm very thankful for because, again, I was thinking back to those guys who were, you know, just charred to a crisp, or guys who gotten their legs blown off, or I even I, I knew a guy in Warrior Leadership Course who had, uh, like, he called it, it was micro shrapnel in his testicles, so he was on painkillers all the time, and you know, I was always very thankful that in my belief, God was looking out for me, even though I didn't know it at the time. And I was pretty agnostic and I don't know. I, I know for myself, I was just kind of living by the skin of my teeth, you know, from one moment to the next and really know what was going to happen to me. But I think that having faith in a higher power is vital for, Obviously, I think it's vital for everybody, no matter what they do in life. But I think for men who are putting themselves in such precarious positions like warfare, I think it's vital. And I don't think they can survive without it. I Sometimes I wonder how many of our brothers in arms would still be here with us today as far as the ones who took their own life if they had not only strong faith but like what you had mentioned you also had a very strong circle of people around you like your wife your father-in-law your father and so it's not just enough to have faith in a higher power i think that it's also important that we immerse ourselves in the right community of like-minded individuals who also adhere to a higher faith right right and if i mean if you think about it you know you're we're talking about the spiritual and the phys- the psychological aspect of you know how we when we come back from war, mm-hmm. men have been fighting each other since you know beginning of history, right? You know, depending on when you think history began, but right. um, we've been fighting and killing each other and going to war, and there's always been that um, there's always had to have been that psychological component of well, what happens. Um, when you come back from war. Um, and I don't know if you've ever read the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Um, but I did a few I, years ago, but to be honest, I, I haven't retained most of it right. in my head because I read it once. Right. To me, I read that book a few years ago also, and I, th- I thought that that was an amazing um, just look into kind of 
why so many, you know, soldiers of our generation have these issues of going to war and then coming back and then just feeling, you know, lost, um, misguided. And, you know, so many, so many guys taking their lives because, um, we don't being in the military, you have this, you have this sense of brotherhood and camaraderie Mm -hmm. and, um, being with guys that even though we all come from different backgrounds with different, you know, skin color, different religion, different, whatever, like you're with those guys and you're part of the mission. You're part of the team. You're part of the same tribe. Right. So you would do anything for those guys. And then, you know, you go to war, you experience all that stuff together. And then we come back to the civilian life. None of that stuff exists. Right. Mm-hmm. We've got a country that's tearing itself apart because of all these differences. We don't have this common bond. And I think that's where a lot of guys lose themselves is they come back. They can't find that. They don't get involved with, with groups or even some of the, some of the groups that exist. Um, they're just not, they're just not good for us younger guys. Like I remember when I first got out, I tried to get involved in like American Legion and VFW and stuff like that stuff. Isn't good for people of our generation. It doesn't work. It's outdated. You know, it's, um, I went to this American Legion uh, meeting with um, my my grandma's uh, husband kind of ran it and he's super old. And these old guys were arguing about like silly stuff that had nothing to do with anything. And I'm like, these, these guys don't get it. They don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like not, not that they don't understand war. They weren't part of that, but just what we're experiencing is very different. And I think that, I think that veterans of our generation certainly lack that coming back from um, the wars that we're in. Um, and I think it's just messed up, you know, psychologically. So like, for me, I'm thankful because like I said, I do have family that supported me. I do have friends that supported me and other veterans, but it hasn't necessarily been easy either. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I'm, I'm in, a, in the same boat in many ways where I'm very thankful I got out with what I have, you know, my body's fully intact. I've got some injuries like knee injuries and things like that from just, you know, being in the suck for so long, but you know, I'm not in a wheelchair. I have all my limbs. Everything works. And even though I've got PTSD, I, I don't require any medication for it. I'm, you know, I'm not having flashbacks or anything nasty like that. So I'm, I'm very grateful to be here in the shape that I'm in physically, mentally, spiritually. And, you know, from my own experiences, when civilians meet me, and I'm really speaking for younger men because I'm here in college, you know, I'll get guys who will talk to me about joining the military to think about joining the military. And it's especially guys who want to go to the army or they want to go to the Marine Corps. And they're like, well, what do you think? You think I should join? And it's like, okay, well, I don't want to tell you what to do because I respect you as a young man, even though you're young, Mm -hmm. you're barely out of high school, you're still a man, you know, you're responsible for what you do. And I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I can in good conscious conscience tell them, yes, I think you should join because what I need them to realize is that, you know, for every guy like myself who got out and I'm, you know, I'm well adjusted, I'm socially calibrated, I'm you know, in great shape and I'm content with my life. There's another guy who's a veteran like myself and he's homeless. Or there's another veteran who he also got deployed, but he saw and experienced a lot more trauma than I did. Maybe he held his dying friend in his arms. You know, maybe he accidentally shot a woman and, and crossfire in a firefight and 
now he's having to battle suicidal ideation every day or he's doped up on pills. Maybe he's got a terrible drinking habit. There's another veteran who's, you know, planning to kill himself. Or, like I said, you got the guys who, you know, had his legs blown off. He got burnt up. You know, guy got his testicles blown off or something like that. And so I tell these young men, it's like, hey, listen, my experience is my experience. Like how I, like what I went through, who I had around me, how I processed my own damage, and then how I got out and the manner in which I got out. I was like, look, this isn't like, I don't represent every other soldier. I don't even know if I represent most soldiers. I don't know how I could divide up these demographics. But so I wanted to tell them, I was like, hey, listen, I'm not saying that you can't do your time and come out relatively fine like I did but you might also go through and you might get really fucked up and it might kill you in a way that you don't want to die or maybe you live through it but you no longer have certain things that you can never get back physically mentally it's like I don't know how you're going to get tested I don't know who you're going to be surrounded with if you're going to have benevolent leaders who care about you or malevolent leaders who are very corrupt and they really just care about themselves so you know, um, I, I get that quite often. And so what I usually default to is, is to tell them to ultimately make their own choice, but to understand the grave consequences they could potentially face. And I think what a lot of these guys are looking for is like you said, what, and it's, it's really what's wrong with society today is these men have so much energy in them and they want to channel it into something masculine because it's instinctual. You know, it goes beyond societal conditioning. It's instinctual and it's biological. And they want something that makes them a man and makes them stand out amongst their peers. Like all guys want to be an alpha male. Let's, you know, let's just go ahead and throw that out there. All guys want to be an alpha male. I don't blame them. Of course, like why wouldn't you want to be towards the top of the male hierarchy, right? Right. Well, it's programmed into us, I believe. Exactly. It's programmed into us. You know, and so, but what I would like them to understand is that, yes, you can absolutely get that to the military. Of course you can. But if you don't go to the military, it's not the end of the world. You can get that through other ways, martial arts. You can go into law enforcement. You can link up with guys who can teach you weapons tactics or fighting tactics. I mean, there's there's other avenues. They don't have to go through what soldiers and Marines go through and you don't really know what's going to happen. You know, I think a lot of it is also the call to adventure. I know like for the reason I signed up was for the call, the call to adventure and also service to country as well. Yeah. I, and I think the same thing. I mean, I know that when I served, I mean, I was a senior in high school um, when nine 11 happened. So that event is, you know, very much seared into my memory and our generation. Um, so when I was in college and we were in, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq, I always felt a little bit uneasy because I felt, and this is putting aside feelings about 9-11. I know that, you know, obviously there's, there's different interpretations of what happened there, but just kind of going off of the textbook, um, you know, story of 9-11, I, I felt that, man, our country was attacked. My brothers are over there fighting to, to keep us safe, keep us free. Mm-hmm. And I felt as though I wasn't doing my part. So that's why toward the end of college, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, when I get out of college, I'm going to join the army and I'm going to go serve and do my part. Mm-hmm. Probably a little naive at, at some point, but, but that was kind of my feeling. But, you know, just the sense of wanting to prove yourself, but also wanting to kind of just 
defend, you know, your homeland in in the, the broadest sense. And I personally think that that is something that is is naturally ingrained in in men. Obviously, it can be exploited um, for the wrong reasons. Um, I think you know history shows that. Um, but outside of that, outside of the politics, yeah, I, I definitely think that you know most men have that down inside them, where they want to prove themselves, they want to defend their their country, their family, their their faith. Um, and, and it's you know I, I think it's a noble endeavor. I agree. I yeah. I think the intentions are great. And like you said, sometimes, you know, these young men who are so, um, they're so eager to help out and pitch in to a cause that they believe in. And as well as, you know, give a noble attempt to make something great of themselves. Sometimes they are exploited. Sometimes they do get manipulated. And, and, you know, it makes my blood boil when I see that, honestly. Um, but not all of them get exploited, you know, some, some really do make their own way and, and they have enough know-how to avoid that crap. Right. And so, um, one thing, you know, one thing that I've noticed, you know, amongst the veteran community is you get a lot of guys who get very jaded and disillusioned. And even though anger is an integral part of masculinity, you know, just having high testosterone makes us prone to anger. I don't mean angry outbursts where we're like a threat to you know polite society but just having like a natural kind of pot temper inside of us i i have seen other veterans have unhealthy amounts of anger in them and and there was a time you know in my own career as a soldier where i had really unhealthy amounts of anger in me and even though like i was working out i was training martial arts i was competing in combatives tournaments I had, you know, I had physical outlets for my anger. I still had so much more welled up in me that I could get out. And thankfully, I managed to quell the extra anger as, you know, that I had up in me before I got out. And I I think a lot of that for myself was, you know, reforming my covenant with God and making good health choices. But I'm still seeing a lot of guys who get out and they still are struggling with their anger. They're still struggling with their stress. They're still struggling with finding like fulfillment. You know, maybe it's because they don't feel like they have a mission to drive towards anymore. And so I'm always trying to figure out ways that we can help our fellow veterans out because I hate seeing them in the state of mind that they're, that they're in, especially because I know what it's like to, to be in that state of mind. And um, so from your own, like from your own perceptions, aside from having a strong faith in God, like you mentioned with Christianity and having a solid community of people around you to encourage you in the right direction, what are some other ways that you think veterans can get the help that they need as far as dispelling anguish, anger, you know, making good life choices and, you know, just finding contentment in their life? Well, I mean, I, I personally think that you need to find your, you need to find some sense of mission and purpose that is similar to what you had when you served in the military. So when you were, you were in, you had a mission, you had, you know, task condition standards, you had um, some kind of end goal that you were part of, and that's what you were trying to achieve. Um, so when you get out 
of the military, you need to figure out how to, how to make that happen for you, for something that you care about. Um, obviously it's different for everybody, right? Some people, you know, I know successful, successful veterans in the business world who, you know, they do well, you know, managing at companies and, you know, making money, you know, some guys, their mission and purpose is to, you know, write, you know, I know there's a big uh, veterans like writing community guys who write poetry, mm -hmm. um, so all kinds of stuff that gives them purpose. Um, you know, just serving others, whether it's, you know, in, in church or in like nonprofits, mm -hmm. um, there's tons of people in our country who need help. Right. Absolutely. So I, I think if, as a veteran, you can find something that you're interested in that gives you some sense of higher purpose um, other than just, you know, get a paycheck. Like I think I think that goes a long way. Now, it's hard, but it, it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I remember when I got out back in 2016 and I ETS, and I think it took me about six months after that to properly adjust to society as a civilian as well as unpack what remaining trauma and emotional damage I had. I mean there were there were some nights where I would I would go out into my backyard or my parents' backyard. Like the first three months I got out, I was living with my parents and kind of getting back on my feet, you know, dealing with the VA and and tell, talking to them about like all my health issues and going to therapy and things like that. But I remember there, there were some nights I had like so much emotion welled up in me that I would have to go into their backyard at night and just like let it out. Like sometimes I was crying. Sometimes I was just like praying or cursing, like not loud enough for the neighbor to hear me. Thank you. But just like right. to myself, just trying to like pour all this shit out of me, basically like purging it. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't think, that I had been that institutionalized in the military. And I mean, mind you, I served for eight years as active duty, but because I had only been deployed twice compared to some other guys who had been, you know, deployed four to six times or even more than that. And because I had come out pretty unscathed compared to the, you know, guys who'd been blown up or, you know, grievously wounded. I didn't think it would take me that long to really adjust. I was really shocked to find that it took me like six months to, like really get it together and just have a consistent life where it didn't feel odd or I wasn't feeling this like unhealthy anger uh -huh. well up in me, you know? Um, so I, sometimes I wonder about the guys who, you know, they get out after 20 years or they get out after 10 years, or maybe, um, you know, maybe they weren't so lucky. Maybe they didn't get an ETS. Maybe they got kicked out early because of an injury or, you know, another than honorable discharge. I always wonder how those guys are handling, you know, no longer being a Marine, sailor, soldier, airman, because obviously things didn't really go as planned or they were just in for so long that it's, you know, they're just having a really hard time adjusting to just like, you know, civilian life. Well, it's, it's difficult because, you know, that becomes part of your identity mm -hmm. and there's, there's a, somewhere there's a line between, embracing that identity as who you are completely and just having that be a part of your past. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the answer is. It's probably different for, uh, for different people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think sometimes some people want to say, Hey, you know, that was just the job that you did. You were in the military. You're not in the military now. Like that's not who you are. 
you know, the opposite end of the spectrum is, is the guy who was in for however many years and gets out and that's all he is, you know, he's just right. the veteran guy and everything he talks about is, you know, his service. When I did this, I was this and everything compared to like, that's the opposite extreme. You don't want that. Right. But at the same time, like whether you're in the army for two years or 20, there's still a huge investment into that. And it, it changes your, your personality and who you are mm-hmm. and it can become ingrained in you. So I don't think there's anything wrong with um, people who are out and veterans and, and kind of having that as part of their identity. Um, I think it's important because I think that everyone who served, you know, just by the nature of, you know, signing on the dotted line and raising your right hand. I think that um, it doesn't make you better than anyone who didn't, but it gives you, um, you know, just a, there's a special quality about someone who does that. So I think that is something that we should embrace and celebrate and not, you know, not try to put down, but obviously mm-hmm. there's a line you can cross. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. No, nobody likes the veteran who never shuts up about his service because right. he's very much like the, you know, the stud high school quarterback who peaked in high right. school. And that's all he ever talks about is the time he, you know, got all these wins in high school. And it's like, right. okay, like that was he's- cool. Like that was cool. And no one can take that from you. And that was amazing. But you know, hey man, you're 26 years old. Like, what are right. you doing now? Like, what ha- have you been able to transmute your success on the gridiron into, right. you know, like running your own business or, you know, being the CEO or manager of, of a company that you work for? Like, what, you know, what about the rest of your life? What about now? What about the future? And like you said, um, us serving, it doesn't make us better than anyone else, but there is a certain distinction. And in my opinion, a credibility that should be acknowledged, you know, like I don't expect everybody to appreciate it and that's okay because we're all free to do what we want, appreciate what we want, whether I like it or agree with it or whatever, you know, that's absolutely fine. I don't need to go tell everyone. I'd be like, Hey bro, I was a veteran, you know? (laughs) Um, But I do think, well, first off I'll I'll say this um, for those of us who serve in uniform, it gives us the gravity to talk about service Versus when a civilian's talking about it. And it's not that civilians can't talk about it. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper here. But mm-hmm. when a civilian talks out of turn about it and it's like, okay, well, hang on. You never served. You really – you're talking about ideals or you're parroting secondhand stories you've heard from people who have served. So you don't – like you don't understand it on an intrinsic level. Mm-hmm. You know, especially – for those of us who have been deployed and we've been to war, we've been to these countries like Iraq and Afghanistan. It's like, Hey, look, if you haven't had boots on the ground, I don't mind you talking about it. I don't mind you talking about your perceptions, especially if you personally knew a veteran, you know, like a family member and they're sharing their experiences with you. By all means, you are absolutely entitled to your opinion, but understand that it doesn't have the same weight that it, you know, that men like you and I have who have been there and have done that. And there needs to be, like there needs to be a certain acknowledgement and respect of, of that. It's like, Hey, maybe you should talk to those guys. They've actually been over there and you should, like, if you really want the real spiel about, you know, those deployments and, and just like what happened and you know, how it makes someone feel, you, you know, you should probably default to the I guess you could call us not, not necessarily experts, but we're def- we're definitely experienced in it. Right. Even, even our experience. I mean, 
shoot, I, I haven't been in, to Afghanistan in nine years. Mm-hmm. So for the stuff that's been going on there recently, like, I mean, I can give my opinion on what I experienced when I was there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that lends a lot of, you know, there's a lot of weight to that. But as far as what's going on there now, like, like I said, I'm not there. I'm not boots on the ground. I haven't been there in nine years. It's changed probably a hundred percent. And I, I, there's, you gotta have some humility in knowing that like, you know, I have my experiences is what I saw, but like, Mm. I'm I'm not an expert. It's one sliver of a really huge pie. Right. And it's so, it's so tangled up and it's so difficult. And obviously that's, you know, that's probably the hottest topic in the mainstream media right now. Like Mm -hmm. nose and like neck and neck with, with coronavirus is, how Afghanistan is being handled right now. And, you know, unfortunately we had uh, several service members killed young men and women, which um, man, I was thinking about them earlier today and it just like, it really, it really got to me. It really just dug a, like a deep cut in my heart. And I was like, you know, what the hell? And um, obviously a lot of the veterans in our circle, you know, they've been sharing their own feelings on it. And I think a lot of veterans, rightfully so, they're very sore about it. And it's hard not to draw comparisons to Vietnam, you know, as far as what this is for our generation and how we're looking at it. And, you know, it's just crazy to think that we're involved in the longest war in U.S. history. I never thought it was going to be that because it's not like – it wasn't. It's not grand in scale like World War One or World War Two, where we're storming Normandy Beach and there's these very clear distinctions on who the enemies are and who the good guys are because you know they all have these uniforms on. It's more conventional war tactics. Like this was all pretty much guerrilla warfare with insurgents who were blending in with the populace. You know, everything was so everything was so tough to decipher for a lot of us. And so even though we didn't have these epic battles, you know, like storming Normandy Beach or the Battle of Market Garden, what we what we lacked in that we we made up for in just, you know, pure attrition, just like the longevity of it, like the way it's dragged on. And, you know, there's no it's like there's no clearly defined conclusion to this. A lot of it's open to interpretation. And then like you said, you know, what's happening now versus what was happening back in 2013 when I was over there on my second tour, which is the first time, only time I've been to Afghanistan, or, you know, 2010 when you're in Afghanistan and I'm in Iraq. Like, the landscape, I can't even imagine how it's changed. You know, so much has happened. There's been so many new insurgent groups. Like, ISIS didn't exist when I was in either country. You know, that didn't come up until, like, 2014, and now ISIS is a thing. You know, there's different opinions on the Taliban, if, you know, if they're really the bad guys, if they're kind of something in between, you know, who knows? Like, I can't even give a definite answer. And it's not that I'm seeking a definite answer to give other people. I'm seeking the answer for myself just for fucking closure. Absolutely. I want closure on all of this because and and I'm also having to tell myself that I may never get the answer and that maybe my closure is just accepting it for what it is. One giant shit pile that I'm just going to have to move past if I want to, you know, not be held back by it. I don't really know what to tell other people. The closure for me, I guess, is the fact that I know that as soldiers, sailors, Marines, uh, Air Force, 
we all did our job the best that we could with what we were given. And whether we won or lost was not up to us because it, it had more to do with the politicians. So I, I know that I did the best that I can. I'm, you know, you did the best that I can every better. And I know you started over there, did what they could have tried to win. But we weren't trying to win the whole war. We were trying to win in our small segment that we could control. Right. Right. So, you know, I don't necessarily sit here and think, oh my gosh, you know, you know, we lost the war in Afghanistan. I didn't lose the war in Afghanistan. You didn't lose the war in Afghanistan. The, The people who took us to Afghanistan lost the war. And you know, that that's on them. We did what we could do. I don't, I think most people who had boots on the ground on our level, we didn't ever think we were going to win. You know, I know that we, when I was training uh, Afghan police and Afghan soldiers and both my deployments, there was never any time where it was like, Oh yeah, these guys are good. They're going to, they're going to get there. They're going to take over their country and everything's going to be good. It was always like, man, when we leave, these guys are screwed. Like (laughs) they don't know, they don't know what they're doing. They can't tie their shoes. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, not going to be my problem when I leave. And even, I mean, even for me, I, you know, I got shot, I got shot by an Afghan army guy. who was an insider attack. So like, Oh, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. So it was like, yeah, well, they definitely, you know, they're, I'm not even sure they're on our side. So right. Good good luck with that. So we saw that, you know, with the with the basically the collapse over the past couple of months of the, the Afghan military and the government, and you know, the the people there were indifferent. So like that's on them. But you know, I think if veterans can can come to that conclusion that I did the best that I could to try to win in my sphere of influence, mm-hmm. I can't influence anything bigger than that. So you know. Yeah, that is that is a, some very sound advice, and I'm I'm thankful to have you here putting that out because I think a lot of men who are still wounded by this need to hear that and let it really land for them. I know that that's really landing for me as well. And and you know, you bringing up the whole I you know you didn't think we were ever going to win. I I remember when my unit was getting ready to leave Iraq and I turned to my friend Andrew and I said, you know, I had this sinking feeling that when we leave this, because we like OIF was ending, you know, third mm-hmm. ID was pulling out. This is 2000, you know, late 2010. And I looked at him, I said, you know, I feel like when we pull out of here, they're just going to take it right back. And all of this work that we put into helping these people out to the best of our ability is just going to collapse and then I remember, you know, fast forward to 2014, I'm watching ISIS storm Mosul, the same city I'd spent a year in trying to help out. I'm like, yeah, there it is. That's just, you know, that's just fucking wonderful. <laughs> and then, yeah, like you said, um, seeing all of these fighting age men desperately fleeing for the U.S. aircraft and watching the collapse of the a and just like, like, wow, that fucking easy, huh? Like, y'all just folded like that and just let the Taliban take everything. It's like, Wow. Okay. I mean, look, with all to, with all due respect, and you know, just trying to me trying to say as aligned with reality as possible, they're free to do whatever the fuck they want. You know, it's their country. I don't know what it's like to be an Afghan. I never will. Um, I I think the only thing and what I've seen recently 
since we've all decided to pull out and finally end this war. The only thing that really disgusted me was seeing fighting age men run for the airplane and then our government pack, pack them into airplanes and get them out of there and leave behind our own men. And it's not that I think that those Afghans should die. No, I absolutely don't. What I'm saying is that if we're Americans, we should be looking out for our own kind first, just like I believe that Afghans should look out for Afghans first. And like, you know, to see fighting age men who are obviously physically capable, they're sprinting for an airplane and clinging onto it while it's launching off the pad, you know, why can't you direct that desperation towards reclaiming your city? Right. You know, it, it's just insane. Um, I think another thing that a lot of our fellow veterans are struggling with is how to justify the deaths of our fellow servicemen who, you know, who didn't make it home. Because, you know, you and I, we both know guys who lost friends over there. And, you know, I'm very thankful. None of my close friends died in that conflict now i know men who took their own lives by their own hand but you know i personally didn't suffer any losses on any of these deployments you know as far as you know men who got shot or blown up or drowned in a canal or anything like that and you know because i don't have that experience it's hard for me to you know give these guys an interest like dude i don't know what to tell you like you know how you feel is absolutely valid i'm not going to sit here and tell you that your fucking your anger, your rage, your anguish is not valid because I can't even begin to imagine right. how you must feel right now. Um, obviously, sooner or later they're going to have to gain closure and move on. But I don't know, you know, as far as right now with them grieving, all I can really do is just be a shoulder for them to kind of lean on and you know vent out their frustrations. And maybe that's all I can do. Right, right, and and maybe that's maybe that's what those people like that need, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just to be heard and be listened to, and, and let them, you know, express this frustration because I, I can understand where they're at, and, and I'm in the same boat where, I mean, I I know people who have been wounded, and I I know guys who were killed, but I don't, I never had a personal relationship with any of those people, so I never had friends that were killed, um, thankfully, and. I don't know. I don't know what you, I don't know what you say to those people other than, you know, give them support and love right. and let them, let them grieve. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, as far as those who didn't make it back home, I think as veterans, we do have an obligation to, try to immortalize them as far as like all the ones that we knew, just try to immortalize them, keep their memory alive, you know, especially, you know, for their families, you know, those that they left behind who are surviving them. Um, you know, I can't imagine how they feel either. You know, I think about like the wives whose husbands never came home, the kids who don't get to see mom or dad come home. And, you know, they're, they're in the same boat, if not a, you know, well, probably even worse boat than those who lost their friends. You know, it's like, I can't imagine the wife, whose husband doesn't get to come home or, you know, like I said, the kids whose mom or dad don't get to come home or the parents who lost a son or daughter over there. Cause it was men and women who died, re- you know, just, even just recently, it's like the war is over. Like, how can you explain that the war is over, but they still died in a violent attack, you know, um, man, just, it just sucks. You know, it really fucking sucks. And, 
you know, my heart really goes out to them, to those families that are grieving the loss of their loved one. And I just, I really pray that they find the strength to, if I was, if I died on my deployments, as much as I know it would, you know, rip my parents open or my brother or my friends, like I would want them to still go on living and, you know, try to find fulfillment and not let my death define the remainder of their own lives. And, you know, hopefully, so hopefully to anyone listening to this, you know, if you've lost a loved one in warfare, whether it's a friend, a family member, just, you know, keep living for them. I think it's very important that you live for them and remember them, but understand that, you know, their loss in your life does not mean that you're still not entitled to happiness and the completion of your own mission. You know, you still have a life, you still have a purpose here. And, you know, and I think you would agree with me on this, that if you're still here on earth, God still has things for you to do, things for you to accomplish. So, you know, don't let your life stop just because a loved one's life stops. You know, keep pushing on, remember them and all that you do, and, you know, do what you can to honor them with your own successes. And I think, I mean, I think the best thing we can do to honor, you know, our fellow service members who died is is to try to you know make something of it like i don't know that we're ever gonna we're not gonna go back and ever you know win you know afghanistan for them you know and we can say oh you know they died in vain or whatnot but i think there's probably some positive stuff that's coming out of this um because the way that our country is going um with just this you know, giant bureaucracy that's just trying to kind of smother everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people's eyes have been opened to the fact that, you know, this, this, this isn't working, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so if we can, if we can channel that energy and say, listen, the government, like, they don't really care about you. They just want to exploit you for power and money and so the guys who died, yeah, they died for terrible reason. If you, if you want to go that far, but they died for nothing because in the end we just lost Afghanistan, but it's people's eyes have been open to, to kind of some of the incompetence and um, the, the fraud that's been going on by the people who run our government. And I think people are kind of upset and, you know, ironically it kind of happened at the same time that the COVID stuff's been happening and people are kind of getting tired and fed up with that. And I think if we can channel that energy to be like, listen, we're going to use that to make, to push further and to make our country a better place. Um, and reclaim some of, um, some of the stuff that's, that's been corrupted by these same people who took us to war, who got our friends and family killed. If we can use that energy to put back into the community, into, you know, the government at a local level at least and start from there i think we can reclaim some of this that that they've, they've taken from us that's how i see it I, I believe so too um i'm i'm thankful it's over like i said i think it dragged on way too long right it dragged on way too long i mean you know they drug saddam hussein out of a hole in the ground in 2004 they killed osama bin laden and it was in 2011 or 2012 you know, um, 
and I'm not going to dig into the conspiracies of that. You know, some people who think he's either still alive or they, right. he, or he just died of natural causes and still team six didn't get him. It doesn't matter. Um, right. Either way, the official narrative is that, you know, Osama bin Laden got killed back in 2011, 2012. You know, that was, you know, in my own opinion, it's like, okay, pack this shit up and let's go home. You know, let, let Afghans take care of Afghans and let it play out. Cause you know, that country is, it's not called the graveyard of empires for nothing. They have been fighting for their own sovereignty since Alexander the Great tried to conquer them. You know, no one's been able to hold on to them. All every great empire throughout history has broken themselves in that country. And so, you know, they're going to continue to do what they have been doing for literally thousands of years. And I don't think it's our place to try and police them. And bring them democracy, which they very obviously don't want. And, you know, talking about the wrongs that go over there is a podcast episode in and of itself, which I don't really care to talk about. Because, again, I spent seven months over there. Seven months in a place that's existed for fucking thousands of years. So I I don't really feel qualified to talk about it. Um like I said, they're much older than us. They've been around forever. They're probably never going to go anywhere. They're just going to keep doing what they do. And, you know, not a, not everyone over there is a piece of shit. Like some people, you know, people want to call them goat fuckers and this and that. And it's like, well, you can you can talk about how supposedly backwards they are all you want. They're still fucking going, and they've defeated every major world superpower that's tried to conquer them. So make of that what you will. Um I don't personally have an issue with Afghanistan. You know, most of the people I met there were very polite. Their food is fucking delicious. A lot of their women are really beautiful, and they got a lot of great natural resources. So I don't really have any personal anger towards Afghanistan or Afghans any more than I do Iraqis and and Iraq itself. You know, if anything, I wish I could go back to those countries in a time of peace and actually properly travel through there's a lot of places there that I'd like to see. I don't know if that oh, will right. happen because it's so everything's so turbulent there, and everything is so Man. turbulent in Iraq with ISIS and all these proxy groups that keep popping up. Um, but you know, to all the all the veterans listening to this, and to the families of veterans listening to this, you know, um, just be aware that this war being over is a huge relief. To a lot of us, I know for me it's a huge relief. And like Cody said, now is the time for us, instead of looking outward at the next enemy to go and fight, we need to look inward and acknowledge the numerous conflicts and social and economic issues within our own country and channel all of these powerful emotions towards creating and building our country into something great and beautiful because we have all the potential in the world. You know, it's not a coincidence that a lot of countries look at us and either they hate us or they want to be us, you know. So, you know, be thankful that you're that you're living here, whether you're an immigrant, whether you were born here. Be thankful that you're living in the United States. You know, we we might not be perfect. Obviously, we're in a time and place where we got a, you know, a lot of problems, a lot of conflict, a lot of differing opinions and ideologies that are just conflicting with each other. But the potential is endless and if you can stay grounded and recognize the right people that you need to keep around you you can do anything you want in this country you can become anyone you want to be and so 
we need to take our emotions and all of our knowledge, all of our great qualities, and we need to transmute that into our communities, like Cody said, and we need to build this country up. Because right now, we are looking like clowns to the rest of the world. Unfortunately, our bureaucrats are not competent. I, I, I don't care who you voted for. I don't care if you like Trump or not. None of that matters. What matters right now is we have incompetent politicians in power. Um, they're not making choices that are for our benefit. You know, none of us are, are capable of directly doing something about that. But what we can do is we can directly impact our communities. And so for you veterans, for those of you who are struggling to let your service go or struggling to let whatever issues you have with serving go, I would suggest that you take all of that right there and channel that into your community. You know, start with yourself. Look, just, um, you know, maybe start with yourself and then, you know, get yourself, get yourself right and then, you know, start influencing your friends to do the same, whether your friends are fellow veterans, whether they're civilians. I've, I've got both. Build each other up. Build your communities up. You know, if you want that brotherhood so bad, which I, I, is, I agree is absolutely vital, you know, find men in your area and through online communities and form tribes of men to create and accomplish goals. Because it, it's no different than when you have, you know, your old platoon back or your own your old squad back and you're you know, getting shit done and it's exciting. Yep. Completely agree. Completely agree. And I think the veteran, I think veterans can set the example for, for everyone else, because we've got experience. We've got experience working with people who are very different mm -hmm. and coming together for a common goal, common mission, common purpose, putting aside all the other differences, you know, the, like I said, skin color, uh, um, religion, socioeconomic background, like put all that stuff to the side and say, hey, this is our goal, this is our mission, we're going to come back, come together, mm -hmm. and we're going to make the world a better place with that in mind. Mm -hmm. And if we can set the example for that, I think I think we'll be in a good spot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, putting, putting the military talk to the side and, and switching topics back to Christianity, um, another problem that you and I and a lot of the men in our circle have recognized are men struggling with their faith in the church, you know, um, we're seeing a lot of liberal ideologies infiltrating the church and it's subverting Christianity, you know, to its fundamental core. And even though I'm not Christian myself, I'm, I'm Muslim. We have a lot of similarities in our religion. We worship the same God. And I'm also seeing these issues pervade into uh, Western Islam, at least where, men are becoming very jaded with the religion or maybe, maybe not so much the religion, but I, I think more so the, like the community and how it's conflicting with modernity and modern society and what modern society is pushing. You know, it's pushing a lot of promiscuity. It's pushing um, excessive debauchery and living lives of decadence, you know, just drink what you want, eat what you want, put whatever in your body that you want, you know, who cares, you know, you only live once. It's a lot of this very reckless, impulsive living that tells us that we should just go by our carnal urges alone because if it feels good, then it must be right. It, that, that seems to be the order of the day. And 
you know, I, I see this here in school with students who are Muslim and Christian, you know, especially here in Oklahoma, we have a lot of that. And so, in your opinion, what can we do to, you know, rally in our communities and get back on the right track to that? Oh, well, that's a difficult question. Um, just mainly because it's it's the things that we believe that are the more traditional um, aspects of, of our faith are, are really to the to the point where they're taboo in our our society. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the common the order that we believe, and I think Muslims and Christians would agree on this, is that. You know, God created the universe, he created humans, and he gave us order. He put things in motion and said, you know, here's the order, here's how things are supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not from the perspective of, you know, God wants us to not have fun or, or not enjoy our lives or just like be these little, you know, boring little slaves that just, you know, go to church and, and don't ever have enjoy their lives. It's it's because he put things in motion for our own protection and our betterment. And so that we can fulfill our, our lives. So um, our culture obviously has rejected, you know, God in that sense, um, rejected that order. And we do so in a way that is very hedonistic, is very materialistic, um, just pleasure seeking. Um, you know, and part of that's because, so many people don't believe in God or they don't believe in an afterlife. And they think, well, this is, this is all I have, you know, this life is all I have. So I'm just going to make the most of it, have, have fun um, while I can. And, you know, when I die, I die. Like, you know, which personally is a very terrible outlook in my opinion. And, um, as far as getting, getting back to traditional um, kind of mindset, um, you know, I, I think we, I think we just, men particularly, but women also of, of faith, have to stand strong in, in what our beliefs are mm-hmm. and stand up and go against the grain, despite the fact that doing so is is kind of dangerous in our society, yeah. that you're, you're going to lose um, status, you're going to lose job opportunity, you're going to lose um, friends. But just realizing that kind of part of the point of faith is is embracing, uh, you know, the the spiritual side over the earthly side, um, and and not not worrying about that. And I think that if we can set a good set a good example, and people see that, then you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna save everybody. We're not gonna you know revert right. the country back to a you know 1950s style America like some people want. But I, I think we could we could make some headway. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, you're right. Islam and Christianity would definitely agree on this. You know, we have this concept in Islam called the dunya, which is the world, the worldly things. And and much like Christians, we're told to, you know, be in the world, live in the world, but don't be of it. Meaning, don't. We're not supposed to immerse ourselves in worldly pleasures. And it's not that we're living this austere lifestyle where we're not allowed to have fun. I think too many people. Um, I think too many people see how people in Afghanistan or Iraq live or, or they're seeing really bad examples of people who live over there. 
you know, like they, they might see them beating their kid, or they're whipping a woman in the streets. Like I know there's been this video circulating lately of an Afghan man beating a woman who's covered in a burqa with like a whip. And I, and look, I don't speak Pashtun. I don't know what the fuck is going on in that video. Look, for all I know, for all I know, that dude might have caught his wife cheating on him. I have no <laughs> idea. Or maybe that guy is a piece of shit and he's beating his wife for no good reason or a random woman, right? But, um, you know. Most people who sit there and scoff at Islam or they'll scoff at Christianity, first off, most of them are atheists. And I feel like a lot of them just had a bad run-in with corrupt people in religious positions. And so they don't really understand the benevolent side of religion, which is what is more true than anything. It's not that you know the church or Islam haven't done things in the past, supposedly in the name of God. I mean, the Crusades is a... An excellent example of this where both of these faiths have clashed and wrongs have been committed, you know, and lives have been lost needlessly. Um, but it doesn't mean that a person can't be called by God to these faiths and find something very enriching, very beneficial, and can transform their life into something just beautiful. You know, speaking for myself, I... I I went from agnostic to Muslim, you know, and I never saw that coming. If you would have told me this at 18, I would have fucking laughed at you and been like, get the fuck out of my face. You're full of shit. Like, there's no way I'm ever going to, you know, be Muslim. Like, that's not what I'm about. Like, I'm American, you know. That's what I would have said. But here I am, and it's because God called me to it. And I don't care what people think about that because, you know, they see me as I am. And, you know, I'm acting – of course, I'm acting a lot in my own interest. I'm human. But – I'm also considering God in a lot of what I do, what I say, how I say it. And, and yeah, you're right. Um, adhering to your faith as best you can is not socially popular. It's a good way to get slapped with, with the label like, oh, hate speech or you're archaic or you're outdated or, you know, you're a misogynist, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, at this point, I don't give a shit. You can call me whatever the fuck you want because I, I care what certain people – think about me, such as my parents, my friends, um, to an extent my professors, because I do respect them for their expertise in the field in which I'm getting my degrees. But at the same time, you know, um, they're human. They're, they're, they're not infallible. They make mistakes too. And, you know, the best people will admit that they make mistakes and that their judgment is not always sound. I know my judgment's not always 100% sound. I'm wrong all the time. But my fear of pissing off God any more than I've already pissed him off probably is too great for me to capitulate to things that I know in my heart are fucking wrong. Like all of this shit with COVID and the way that they're trying to force things on people like vaccines, you know, and, and look, are these vaccines going to fuck everybody up? Probably not. Maybe not. Hopefully not. But I've seen sufficient enough evidence of women having miscarriages, women shedding the lines of their uterus. And these are women who are in their absolute sexual reproductive prime, late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s. And they shouldn't be having these kind of problems, people getting Bell's palsy syndrome. And so when I'm seeing the government enroaching upon human rights to freedom and not just here in the U.S., like Australia and Canada have just gone full fucking lunatic with their lockdowns 
you know, it's not too hard for me to sit here and put it together in my head that, okay, I know what God would want me to do based on the tenets of my faith. You know, and, and there are a lot of people who are siding with pushing vaccines and masks on people. And it's not because they're malevolent. It's not because they want to subvert people or enslave them. It's because they, they care. They care about saving people's lives. And, of course, they don't want to die either. And I understand that. I don't want to die right now. I'm in my prime. But they're, I feel like they're letting their fear dictate them way too much. And it's not really fear of God. It's more it's more so fear of losing their jobs. It's more so. And so, in other words, it's fear of other people, right? And I feel like as Muslims and Christians, especially as men in these faiths, we can't we can't allow that to happen to us. We don't get to just bow down to the human powers that be. I think that we need to be beacons for not only our community, but for really anyone in our proximity with open eyes, open minds, and open hearts to say, listen, this isn't as bad as you think it is. Yes, it's a serious thing. Obviously, it's impacting people's lives, whether it's the actual sickness impacting people's lives or it's the fucking sanctions in place around this ruining people's lives. But y'all need to remember that God is here and that he does care for us. And if you strive to live a righteous life where you're looking out for one another, which doesn't just mean not saying no to anybody, it also means enacting tough love and enforcing standards, then you can live a beautiful life. And when you finally leap from this mortal coil, you know, God promises us a place in paradise. And if we believe that and we live accordingly to that belief, then yeah, I think that's where we're going to end up. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, and I agree with you. You know, I don't think that most people who are pushing some of this, um, these rules and regulations, I, I don't think that most of them are being malicious. They're not, they're not evil people. They're not trying to um, cause trouble in anyone's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do think there probably are some people at the top who are, but. Um, oh, of course. There's always yeah. thinkers. Right. But, uh, you know, the way I see it, you know, from my Christian faith is that, all of these people that we don't agree with, they're still humans. They're still created um, by God. They're still loved by God. And we are all sinners. We all, you know, no one's perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And um, so those people's issues are, are, you know, just their issues that, that they need us to not treat them as enemies, but treat them as people who are just lost and figure out what we can do to, to show them, you know, th- that things aren't, things aren't as scary as they think they are, that, um, you know, there's more to, to life than just um, what we've got going on here. Um, and that there is, you know, faith and hope and that there's an afterlife that, you know, even if this life doesn't work out or, you know, you, you get sick and die, like, well, what, what's coming after this is, is way better than not even comparable. You can't even, um, describe it. It's, it's so different and so much better than what we have going on here. Um, 
I want to talk about I want to talk about your concept of solar Christianity as well because that was a really enjoyable article for me to read and um, I like how you made all of these connections to like solar ideals and the symbolism that you see in Christian iconography which I'm not as familiar with so um, could you elaborate more on solar Christianity because I think this is a very rich topic pregnant with meaning that would benefit a lot of listeners especially those who are of the christian faith yeah yeah absolutely and thank you for that um i mean solar christianity so it grew out of you know give credit to jack donovan in his um concept of you know staying solar solar idealism you know and, and he explains that as within the past several years seeing seeing guys who are you know, kind of in our, our realm of thinking, um, kind of focus on negativity um, and sort of like the black pill type, you know, concept. Mm-hmm. And his idea of, hey, that's wrong. We need to take things more in a more positive light um, and, and, and stay solar. You know what I mean? Think of things like uh, light and order. Um, so that really resonated with me. Um, and Jack Donovan is a writer who's, who's always resonated with me. Um, his books, you know, even though he's not a Christian, his his books, I first read um, The Way of Man, you know, after I got out of the army and it really just spoke to me. So everything that, that he's written is, is just, I think, really amazing. Um, but turning that into solar Christianity, I think it's kind of that same idea of the positivity um, that comes from being solar and the sun and harnessing the power of the sun. And, and, it's, and it's certainly not, you know, any kind of worship of the sun. Right. Um, it's, it's purely symbolic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things um, you talk about is the sun sort of establishes order um, for our, our solar system. Right. So all of our planets, you know, revolve around the sun and the sun gives us light, the sun, gives energy to plants and animals and um, it orders us. And in the Bible, in Genesis, it talks about um, when God put, you know, the sun in the sky, he, he put that to give us light, but to also kind of order our life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as Christians, you know, sort of Christianity is taking that concept. And first of all, the, the, the idea of establishing order, you as a man, you know, you need to, establish an internal order for yourself, right? You need to put yourself on the right path. Um, you know, physically that's through, you know, proper diet, exercise, um, just living a healthy lifestyle. Um, also, you know, mentally, you know, make sure you're putting the right things in your mind, you're reading, you're always trying to learn things. Um, and then also spiritually, you know, like, like praying, going to, you know, your, religious services, whatever your faith is, um, ordering yourself in that uh, first. And then there's an external aspect of order to where as, you know, tribes of men, groups of men, as churches, you know, mosques, groups of, you know, of people coming together, acting out in the world in a positive manner, right? And, you, and harnessing that, that idea to um, make a positive impact on the world. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I also, um, brought in some concepts from my Christian iconography, iconography, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if you look back in some, some 
sort of medieval Christian artwork. You can see pictures of, of not only Jesus, but saints and other people with sort of like the halo around their head. And um, I just, to me, I thought that was a pretty cool um, symbolic, uh, you know, um, imagery that I think um, shows that, uh, you know, the solar concept is, is something that we can embrace. Um, thinking back to, to what I wrote. Um, and then sort of another, another concept of that um, that I think is kind of lost, at least in modern day um, Christianity and Protestant Christianity, it's definitely lost. And I've been doing a lot of research and study into Orthodox Christianity. Um, you know, I'm not Orthodox. I don't go to that church, but there's an appeal there for me. But um, part of what they emphasize is that our struggle here is in the, in the Protestant world, it's it's like this personal struggle with sin. Like Christianity is just like, oh, am I a good person? You know, I don't do I drink or I don't do drugs or I don't, you know, commit adultery. In the Orthodox perspective, it's not that. It's our relationship with God is we're part of this cosmic struggle that's between the forces of good and the forces of, of evil. Right. So God, you know, created the universe and then there's the fallen angels who rebel against him. And essentially there's this cosmic struggle that's going on between them and which side are we on? Right. So to me, the, the solar concept kind of plays into that um, in a symbolic way. So we are choosing the side of light, the side of good, the side of God to, essentially fight against the dark forces that have kind of corrupted the world, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that that's something you and I and other friends of ours like Will Spencer have been talking about a lot lately, trying to rally, you know, rally men of the same school of thought as us, where it's like, hey, listen, it, it's not about religious conflicts, not about Islam versus Christianity or you know, paganism versus Abrahamic faith. It it's ultimately about good versus evil, because you know another thing that not only can Muslims and Christians agree upon, but also people of you know certain pagan faiths can agree on that there are these you know like ethereal supernatural forces outside of our perspectives, like angels, demons, jinns, whatever you want to call them, right? These supernatural beings that inhabit the fourth and fifth dimensions and they have their hand in a lot of what happens here, you know, and it can be as discreet as, you know, suggestion and temptation, or it can be as severe as demonic possession. I believe that we believe in Islam that these things happen. And so I think the sooner that we can, really set aside our dogmatic differences and come together and align with each other and face against the evil, the, the demiurge, and there's somebody named for it or Satan, then the sooner that we can really get society together the way it needs to be. And, you know, um, this all sounds very dark and it sounds very scary. And there's even some people who think we're living in revelations right now. And maybe we are, I, I don't know. Right. Um, but we certainly have a tall order stacked against us. However, my outlook on this is ultimately positive because 
you and I and the men in our circle are, you know, we're aligned with God. And we're striving to do as much good as possible with the time that we have here on earth and the time that we have here. And and with all of the resources that we have. And I believe that we're going to win. I don't know the timeline for all of this. I don't know how exactly it plays out but or what the cost will be. But I, I do believe that we're going to win. Yeah, I, I think that I think we're going to win this ultimately. I think you know a lot of us have this impending feeling that it is going to get worse before it gets better, as far as everything that we're dealing with. But I think that before we die or before this generation goes, we're going to see it get better, and I think that we are going to secure just a really beautiful future for our children, where they're not having these things in society pushed on them that aren't healthy for them, the, you know, the transgenderism, all the LGBTQT outreach, and, you know, all of this crazy political division, this racial division. I mean, it, it's just, it's ugly. It's, it's ugly. It's anti-God. It's anti-creation. And none of it's healthy, you know, and I don't, I don't care about the people who want to argue subjectives, you know, fuck subjectives. There are certain things in life that are objectively good and healthy and right and there are things that are objectively evil wrong and and harmful and a lot of what's popularized or accepted right now or is being pushed is is wrong and it's evil and you know as muslims and as christians we can't allow that and you know people can call us outdated all they want to but when our own scriptures are talking about these things and these are books that were written over you know, a thousand years ago, there's something to be said about that. You know, the, you can't dismiss what is relevant now in scripture that was written that long ago by prophets. Right, right, for sure. And, and yeah, we've, we definitely have a hard road ahead of us um, dealing with these issues. Um, but I think, I think the good thing about it is you know, we first of all we know how that we know how it ends, right? We know in the end we're on the side that is going to come out on top. The truth is is going to come out on top, and I think that's positive. That's a positive um, thing to to bring from it. But it, it also, you know, we we went we were talking earlier about how um, veterans and men sort of need sort of like a purpose and a mission, um, kind of part of their lives. Um, and I think to me that there's that this can be part of that um, as far as serving your God, serving your, your country, serving your, the people around you and bringing that positive mission, that positive light to the world in that is currently covered in sort of a dark, a darkness, you know, from all the lies of um, that, that they're trying to push on us. So I think if we can embrace that mission, embrace that purpose, um, I think we can go go a long way with with getting somewhere. Yeah, I, I believe so too. We're definitely going to gain traction. But yeah, all those men who are wandering around aimlessly, whether they're a veteran, whether they're a civilian, and they're looking for a purpose, you know, how how is your relationship with the divine? You know, these are questions that 
you know, you need to be asking yourself these questions that, you know, I, I had to ask myself when I was, you know, putting myself back together and, and just, you know, being, being the kind of man that I always should have been, that I am now, thankfully, is, you know, what is my relationship like with the divine? And, and that also I need to serve something greater than myself. You know, I was, I was a creature of impulse and carnal urges and I was always trying to satisfy my own urges, but, um, you know, for me, that wasn't sustainable. I don't think it's sustainable for anybody. When I see people crash and burn like that, you know, you see celebrities do it all the time. And it's like, yeah, it's because all they were doing was worshiping themselves. They were worshiping their carnal desires. And it's just, it's not sustainable. We need, we need things outside of ourselves to serve, you know, like our own community, the people that we care about, you know, like family, friends, wives, husbands, kids. And we need to serve a higher divine purpose with God. You know, and look for all of for anyone who's listening and you're just like committed to being an atheist and denying God. Like, obviously, if you're going to do that, I can't make a dent in your belief, whatever. You know, you know, if you want to go the secular route, serve something outside of yourself, serve something greater than your own selfishness. A modicum of selfishness is necessary. We all have an instinctual self-preservation and. You know, we have our needs, right, that we need for ourselves, food and sustainment, a roof over our heads, romance. But you need to find something that is greater than yourself, i.e. the needs of a community, your immediate community. If you can do that, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or if you're like Cody and I, where we acknowledge God's presence in our lives and his divine mission for us. Find something greater than yourself and stick with that. Stay consistent. And if you do that over time, you should have compounding effects, which will bring beautiful benefits to your life. I've seen it happen in my own life, and almost all of the men who are in my circle have seen this happen in their own lives as well. And it's not that, look, it's not that we don't have our own trials and tribulations. Of course we do. But I tell you what, we're much fucking better equipped to deal with it than people who have no faith at all, who are very nihilistic, who are always very woe is me. You know, we have a different outlook on life. And, and it's crazy because the contrast is so great that it's almost like we're living a, a, a divergent reality, even though we might live right next door to each other. So there's something to be said about having a purpose greater than yourself. And in fact, I think it's required for survival and not just physical survival, but mental and spiritual survival. Yep. Absolutely agree. You know, and, and I look back, I look back on the time of my life and, and as I've said, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life, but that doesn't mean that I've, you know, been perfect or I've always been living, you know, uh, uh, on the right path with God. You know what I mean? I, I had my days in you know high school and college where, you know, I was doing stuff that was, that was outside of um, my beliefs. And, you know, you look back on that and you're like, you regret a lot of it and because it can cause problems down the line. Um, and, and just now being in a more, you know, uh, just a spiritual mindset and a mindset of serving others and not just looking out for, him, for yourself. It is so much more rewarding than having that mentality of just looking out for your carnal instincts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And I, and I think for, for those of us who are committed to a faith and committed to God and we 
you know, there's a lot of us who struggle with the guilt of our sins because, yeah, we did something degenerate. And, you know, most of us have done things that are degenerate. You know, welcome to being human. Welcome to being an adult. Like you said, we fall short of the glory of God. Or if you're a Christian, you fall short of the glory of Christ. You know, we, we can't be perfect. It's not possible. We're human. We're going to fuck up. And sometimes these fuck ups are huge. And, you know, sometimes we get away with it. You know, in Islam, there's a belief that the sins you commit, you'll either get caught by humans and punished by humans. And some you'll get away with, but no matter what, God will punish you for it no matter what. You know, sometimes you're punished on earth, and sometimes you're punished in the afterlife. But, you know, for those of you who who are religious, and maybe you're struggling greatly with your guilt, right? What I found to help me out with my guilt, as far as, you know, man, what a piece of shit I was. I mean, why did I do that? You know, I wish I would have never done that. I wish I could forget that ever happened. I I feel that the more service I give to other people within my own community and outside of it, you know, um, I believe the concept is called green martyrdom in Orthodox Christianity, which I learned that from Arthur Dane. Um, by serving other people, you can overcome those sins and overcome that guilt. There is a certain amount of shame that we need in our lives. It's our conscience telling us, hey, you should never do that or you should have never done that. But living with guilt controlling you is, is very destructive and it will erode your self-esteem. You know, There comes a point in time where if you're truly repentant of these things that you're doing and you're showing up to your actions by not doing those things again, you've drawn the line and you've moved past that. Then understand that God is benevolent. He will forgive you. He's certainly forgiven me. And like I said, I'm no different. I'm a sinner too. And he will forgive you. And so if God's forgiving you, why can't you forgive yourself? You know, whether you forgive another human being for something they've done to you, that's a different thing. But as far as you, you're like you're stuck with yourself until you die. And so you should really work on forgiving yourself if you're one of these people who's just caught up in guilt all the time, your self-esteem is shot to shit. You know, um, you subscribe as much worth to yourself as you want to. And so if you're, you know, if if you're not going to, like, kill yourself, which I totally don't fucking condone, like, don't commit suicide. Just find a way to move past your sins, give service to others, and just work on being a good person. And, and over time, you can learn to forgive yourself and love yourself because that's what God ultimately wants for us. He wants you to be happy, filled with joy, and living vibrantly. Yeah, the world can be and is oftentimes a dark shitty place and sometimes bad things happen to good people but it doesn't mean that you can't have paradise on earth too and then also have paradise in the afterlife you know um and i'm and i know i'm definitely speaking to a lot of veterans that i know when i talk about this a lot of them are ate up with guilt for things that they've done sometimes it's things they've done in warfare and sometimes it's things they've done in garrison but listen um you know the guilt that you feel it's there for a reason because you did something bad that you know is bad but you need to move past that be a better man or woman and you know do good deeds say good things and be a good person as much as you could possibly muster because if you just live in guilt eventually you're just going to self-destruct and nobody wants to see that nobody wants that to happen so just um, 
you know, strive to be as good as possible. And I think you'll be all right. For sure. God, God's, God doesn't want to punish anyone. He's not out to get everyone. He, he wants, he wants us to reconcile with him so that, you know, he can share in his, you know, share a relationship with us. He's not, he's not out to, to get us. So no matter what anyone has ever done in their life, as bad as you might think it is, it's, it, nothing can be forgiven. Exactly. Exactly. Nothing, can be, nothing can't be forgiven. You know, <laughs> I think a lot of times, you know, it, it, it's so hard for us. Like you said, it's so hard for us to comprehend God. It just like it is for the afterlife. You know, we can't comprehend him. Our minds are too limited because he created us. And so I think what happens with a lot of us is that we try to, we try to envision God within these human limitations because you know, I'll admit there are people in this world, some are dead and some are still alive, who have done things that are beyond the my capacity to forgive them for, right? And I think it's I think it's easy for us to envision God being the same way where there are certain lines we cross that he's incapable of forgiving, but that's a very dangerous trap to fall into when we put limits on God. And it's not that you can do certain things that won't get you punished. Absolutely, you'll get punished, and you you might you might end up going to hell, right? You know, who who really knows? But um, I would I would caution putting limits on God because He literally created this entire universe, and He's the only being outside of time and space. So, you know, if you you know if you think you're beyond forgiveness, you don't really know that you're you're human. I don't really know that either, but God, God does know. And so I think it's better to err on the side of pushing for forgiveness rather than just submitting yourself to being, you know, a piece of shit and continuing to live as like a piece of shit, you know, continuing to commit degeneracy and, you know, cause understand that you're having far reaching effects on society. You know, even if you, you, you might be alone in a room doing this thing, but it's having an impact on the people around you. It, it's contributing to the community. So the question that you can ask yourself is, am I contributing to society in a positive way or am I causing them to, you know, degenerate? Yep, absolutely. But, um, we're getting close to the end of the episode and some of, um, some of our close friends and some of the people who follow us on Instagram submitted some questions for us. So we'll get to those because we got some, we got some really good ones. Yeah. Um, uh, the first one, the first one comes from one of my favorite people on Instagram and he's in our circle. It's a practice of man. What do you think most Christian churches should be doing to reach more men? Well, I mean, I think they have to try to reach men. I don't think most Christian churches try to reach men. I mean, I think the big the big problem with Christianity where we're at now is it's become such a feminized religion. And we focus so much on sort of the soft aspects of Christianity, which which don't get me wrong, they're they're important. Um, the love and the forgiveness and um and sort of the the feely, touchy feely parts of it, right? But men don't I want to say men don't care about that, but that doesn't bring men to church. Men are a little bit harder. You know, we want to 
um, focus on more of the aspects that are on the sides of, you know, justice and, and strength and power and God's um, uh, sort of majesty. So I think for, for modern churches, you know, to get there, they really have to step back from this, this feminine aspect, this feminine experience of worship, like modern Christian, Christian worship now in the Protestant sense is essentially, to me, it's just like a big cold place concert. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you're just, you're just, men don't connect with that. Right. You know, women do. So we've got to, we've got to change that aspect of it. Um, I certainly think that there's some more um, older parts of the church that Protestantism lost that are still part of um, both Catholicism and Orthodoxy that I think modern Christians can embrace. Like I've mentioned, I've been doing a lot of research and study in the Eastern Orthodoxy lately, and there's there's just such this different element to it. Like um, I mentioned before, this this concept of this cosmic struggle between forces of good and the forces of evil, um, this battle between God and the fallen angels, right? And as men, most men, like, we love that kind of stuff, right? We love oh, yeah. stories about, you know, you know, battles and, um, you know, fighting, you know, demons and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, from what I read, like, that's real. Like, that's in the Bible. Like, that's just not, like, made-up fantasy stories. Like, yeah, there's no, that, of, that's actual history. Like, I, right. I believe every bit of right. it. Right. So if we can bring that back to the forefront and, and make people men in the church understand like, Hey, there's a mission here. Like you're being called to battle. You're being called to fight in a war, the spiritual war. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think we can give men purpose mm-hmm. in church and realize that, Hey, you know, this isn't just about going to church and, and singing and, and hearing a message and then, you know, going home. There's so much more to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Men, we're always seeking some kind of, struggle like struggle because it gives us meaning you know it gives us right. meaning in this in this world and yeah i i would agree with that and and i think that that's also like again this is something a correlation that i'm seeing in you know communities here in the west and islam is the men are you know they're they're not really involved in their own masculinity as much you know and and a lot of men find Islam appealing now because there is a strong patriarchy, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of men physically not take care of themselves. And as we all know, a strong mind can't reside in a weak body. They're going to deteriorate and stagnate, you know, at pretty much the same length. And I wish that they would realize the same thing. Like, Hey, listen, like, you know, we're in the mosque, we're praying and, and all this and we're worshiping God, but like, Hey man, like, don't forget you're here on earth right now. Your body is the only vehicle that you really have. And you need to make this thing strong because this is your temple. You know, um, we need to take care of ourselves and you know, yeah, there might not be some physical jihad happening right now, but the spiritual one is it never fucking stops. It will never stop. You know, we're going to be in a spiritual fucking struggle until the day we die. Cause that's how God has, crafted this universe it's all one giant test comprised of multiple tests on every fucking level micro and macro and so you know 
we need to be living on our edge because that's what makes us strong. You know, and, and of course, it's not it's not saying that there's not time to rest. Of course, there is. There's always time to rest. There's always time to relax. But I think I think what I'm seeing with a lot of Muslim men and Christian men in the West is that they're sinking into way too much comfort. Like you said, there's a lot of heavy feminization, you know, and, and there's not enough of like, hey, you need to remember that you're a man and that you're you're the harbinger of order here. Because that's what God, God, God is not going to part the fucking clouds for you and put order in place. That's what we're here for. We're here <laughs> to keep the fire and maintain order on this earth. And right. we need to be there. We need to be doing this, not just for ourselves and our fellow men, but we need to be doing that for the women in our community, whether it's our wife, whether it's our younger sisters, whether it's. You know, like our mothers or grandmothers, you know, they're getting past a certain age and they need to be looked after. And and also, you know, for, for those Christian and Muslim men who have sons, it's like how you are is how your son is most likely going to turn out. You know, do you want to be remembered as the father who is lazy and weak and soft? Or do you want to be the father that is strong and powerful and he's in charge and he knows how to direct and lead? You know, it's not it's not that we'll ever be perfect and yeah, we'll make mistakes, but I mean, damn, being soft and weak is is like that can't be looked over and dismissed. We need to be strong because you know the kids in our community, that's our future right there. You know, and, and I'm not, I'm not speaking directly from my own experiences. I'm not a dad. I hope to be a dad in the future and get married. But I'm already doing what I can now to prepare myself for being a father and as well as a husband. And because I don't want my kid having the setbacks that I've had, you know, or the setbacks that my father had with his, you know, with his grandparents. I want my sons and daughters to see my wife and I as the examples of how men and women should live in a way that's pleasing onto God and is, empowering within our communities and so hopefully we can spread this influence among our own communities and mm -hmm. other men will start to notice and you know they'll start stepping their game up because we we really need it we need these men on our side i don't want to throw them away and i don't mm -hmm. want to see them get crushed under this bullshit that we're being assailed with right now i want to see them rise with us that's my hope mm -hmm. But there's this aspect of um, this. There's this kind of this anti-materialism that has kind of crept into. It's definitely part of Christianity, and, and you know, I don't. I would assume it's it's probably making its way into into Islam. But just this idea that um, the material component of life doesn't necessarily matter, and it's a spiritual component, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and it it kind of comes from an old um, heresy at the early early church called Gnosticism, which really said that material is bad, the spiritual is um, what's important. Mm -hmm. And in the church, that sort of lost out, right? But then it kind of crept back into the religion um, later on, right? So basically what we have now is, is sort of this, this faith that's very focused on spiritual, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a good guy if I, as long as I don't sin and, you know, I pray and I, and I sing at church and like, those are all very spiritual things. Right. And we forget about the material side of, of life. 
right? We just say, oh, my body, you know, it's just, just whatever I can, I can put whatever I want in my body. I don't need to be fit. I don't need to exercise. I don't need to be healthy because, you know, spiritually I'm strong. Right. 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 And, but what it leads to really is a bunch of weak men. Right. So we need to reclaim that because I think the material aspect of, of life is something that was created by God, given to us by God. He gave us bodies, right? Right. Like he gave us physical manifestations. God has a body himself. Right. So by sort of forgetting about that and focusing on the spiritual, we're losing out on a lot of uh, God's creation that he gave to us. Right. And, and it's, you know, like I said, this, the spiritual aspect of it in church is good, but it, it definitely focuses more toward the, the, the feminine side of the house. Yes, absolutely. And we, we need the masculine, masculine side of the house to, to step up its game because, you know, that's, that's where we're really going to get stuff done. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, our next quest, our, yeah, our next question is what was the most sobering um, I think for myself, it was definitely my first tour, which is to Iraq. And um, I was I was guarding this MRAP. I was the uh, I was the driver, so I was standing outside of the MRAP with my M4, and my buddy Andrew was up in the gunner's hatch, just you know, sweeping a sector of fire. And we were waiting for our commanders to walk out of the Iraqi police station. They were doing a meetup with the commander in there, so just sitting out there in my own business. And, uh, of course, you know, you get the, the kids, the local kids want to run up. They want to ask you for stuff, right? And I remember, uh, usually I'd have, like, candy or something, but all I had was, like, some, like, random pocket change. So I just had some coins in my pocket. So I just doled them out and handed them off to these kids. I'm like, hey, here you go, here you go, here you go. And I remember I gave this, uh, I gave this one kid a nickel, and he ran off. And, and I was like, okay, cool. Maybe he's, you know, going to go buy himself some food for his family, like a bag of rice or something. And, well, like 15 minutes later, this kid runs back to me with like a bag of chips. All right. He came and brought me like a bag of chips. And like, for me, that will always stick with me above anything else. Cause like, it was one of the most human fucking moments I've ever seen in my life. Like this kid did not speak a lick of English. He had no reason to be polite to me. He had no reason to show me any kindness or any affinity. And my hope was that he would take that money and go and buy himself some, because like, this is the middle of the day, and I know for a fact it wasn't on a weekend because I remember I was like, man, these, these kids should be in school right now, but they're not because there's no fucking school for them to go to. So they rove around in little gangs amongst us. So like each street I was on, there was like a, right. a pack of stray dogs and a pack of kids, right? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> and, so, right. Um, and this kid was young. He was like, you know, like I said, five or six years old, like bottom of the pack, and he brought me back like this bag of chips, and I like – Dude, I almost started like crying. I was like, man, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this kid is amazing. You know, it's like he's living in absolute squalor that, with all due respect, most of us Americans can never really wrap our heads around. Even though I was there for a year, I still can't comprehend it because, well, I get to go home if I survive, right? I get to go back to air conditioning and school and nice things and clean clothes. And this kid was like head to toe, covered in dirt. You know, obviously, like, yeah, I'm bathed in a while. And, I know the sewage system was broken in Mosul at the time. It was like raw sewage running down the street. But um, I don't know. He was just such a pure kid that he wasn't just thinking of himself and whatever family he had. He also decided to, you know, bring me something as well. And I, I think that was the most sobering moment of my deployment. It was just like, 
you know, it doesn't matter how bad things seem. There's still beauty in even the worst places in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, so the end of my first deployment in 2010, there was a day we, we, so I was in, um, in Kandahar province, right. And part of my, my area of operations was in the Argandab district, which is one, which was at the time, one of the most like deadliest and dangerous parts of, of Afghanistan. It was just North of Kandahar city. And, um, we had, we went down to the district center because we were meeting with the, um, the district, um, uh, I guess he was like the mayor or like the governor of the district. Right. And so we had this meeting with him about, I don't even know what it was, something about a school. And on the way out, his son, um, his son was there. His son was probably 15, 16 year old, like kid, like nicest kid in the world. I've talked to him before. Like he, he spoke English like pretty well. Um, just the nicest kid in the world. And I saw him and I was talking to him. I'm like, Hey man, how you doing? How's things going? And I saw he had this, he had this watch on and it was like a nice, like a G-Shock watch. It was like really cool looking. And I was like, Hey, that's a really cool watch. I really like that. You know? And he's like, Oh, thank you. And he pointed at my watch and I had this beat up like Nike, like running watch that was just like disgusting and whatever. He's like, he's like, you do want to, do you want to trade? Like he wanted to trade me watches. Like I had this just piece of crap watch that was like, I've had for like years and he just had this brand new thing. And like, he wanted to trade watches. Like he was just like, so like, he was proud of this watch that he had, but he wanted to give it to me. Right. right. And that like made me like, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And like, I said, no, cause I'm like, I'm not taking advantage of this kid. I'm like I can go buy a new watch, you know, like right. I don't need your watch. Well, we got back, we got back to our base later that day. Um, and we were like hanging out, having dinner at our, our cop and my company commander calls me and he's like, Hey, he's like, he's like the Argandab district, uh, mayor. He was driving home today with his son and they got blown up by a suicide bomber and they're dead. Oh. And I was like, seriously, <laughs> like, I was just talking to this kid like two hours ago. Like he wanted to trade me his watch. Like, and that hit me so hard, man, because that, that was just so sobering. I was like, wow, like this is, this is a serious business over here. This is a serious right. game. Like and this kid was so happy. This kid was so excited, like so full of life, like, and so willing to sacrifice something that, that was, you know, probably pretty important there. And like, he just lost his life. And I was like, wow. Like, so that, that, that probably hit me the hardest out of, you know, anything that happened to me while I was over there. Man, yeah. Damn. Yeah, if there's um, if there's one thing I wish certain people here in the U.S. would understand, um, especially those who had never interacted with any of the people in Afghanistan and Iraq, was how generous and truly beautiful those people can be. I mean, oh, their, their outlook on life. And again, these are people who have never stepped foot in a first world developed nation. Most of them will never, never step foot in a developed first world country. So they'll, they'll never know how, like just the, like the abundance of materialistic things we have afforded to us. And, you know, and, and this is usually the same type of people that tend to turn their noses up and then like, Oh, they're so backwards. They're a bunch of goat fuckers and this and that. And it's, it's like, 
you know, they might not have a brand new car sitting in their parking lot. They might not get to go to an elite university or be a six-figure doctor, but they have things that you can't tack on your fucking wall, and they have things that you can't put a fucking price on, like generosity, benevolence, kindness, toughness. Because I'll, I'll say this much, uh, those Afghans were the hardest motherfuckers ever met in my life, you know? Um, oh, sure. God damn. Um, I, I'm at least thankful that I had, you know, I don't consider them the enemy anymore. I'm not a soldier anymore. And this war is over, thankfully. Um, but I'm at least proud to say that the men that we were going up against, they weren't fucking pussies. Oh, for sure. They believed, like, no matter what you fucking believe, these guys believed in their cause so fucking hard that they would die for it with no hesitation. They didn't give a fuck. And they were fighting us with weapons that, compared to us, were nothing. I mean, they didn't have fighter jets. They were using Soviet-era AK-47s, recoilless rifles. Some of them were using British infield rifles. I mean, they didn't care. They they got up, and they fucking went to war. And they, I mean, we pulled out. So, again, take that for what it's worth. Those people are, those people are hardy. And they have a lot of qualities that are missing in men today here in the U.S. that I wish that these that uh, these men would have. And the kind of generosity that these people are capable of and do show is something that everyone here in the U.S. can take note of and we can all apply to our own lives. And I honestly, you know, I try to write about that in my last blog post on Afghanistan is, you know, that I'm not going to make any apologies for the Taliban. I think the Taliban are, are in general, bad guys and misguided. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they use they use their faith, you know, to the extreme and, and they don't, you know, they're not good guys at all. Right. But they did stand up for what they believed in. They stood up right. for their country and they were persistent. And, you know, they, they, they won, you know, meanwhile, over here, the men of our country, we just kind of sit back and let stuff happen. We, we let, we let them force masks on our kids in school. We let them force vaccines on everyone, people who don't need it. We let them force all this propaganda and brainwash our kids. And yeah. what do we do? We were like, well, okay, that, that sucks. That's too bad. I'll just vote for someone better next time. And, and that's not going to help. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I admire that. I admire the fact that, that these guys, you know, stood up for what they believed in and they were willing to die for it. Yeah. And sure, their methods were, were, were wrong. And, um, but, you know, they, they've got a lot of guts. And, um, and the Afghan people, you know, I don't have anything against them either. You're right. They are generous. I mean, I sat down with so many, many of these people. They offer you tea. They offer you meals. Like mm-hmm. they offer you the shirt off their back if 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 you ask for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I definitely admire that. You know, and I wish the best for them. You know, I I, I, I the Taliban right now say that they're you know going to be better, the better Taliban, right? Like right. I don't believe that, but we'll I want happens, that to be right? true, right? But I want that to be true. I want them mm-hmm. to, you know, treat their people with dignity and respect, and um, despite the fact that you know. Guys like us are traditional. Like I don't think they treat women well. You know, like I don't want to see that. So yeah, I don't want to see that yeah. either. Yeah, they got some disgusting habits. 
and I don't agree with them. And, you know, they, they can they say they're Muslim and I'm Muslim. And I, I guess we have two different understandings of Islam. Um, but and so I don't respect them for religious extremism, but I respect them for the fact that they don't let anyone fucking push them around. You know, so that that thing right there, like just having the fucking moral backbone is something that we can all apply to ourselves and use much better than they're using it for. So, um, absolutely. Our next question is, do you believe religion is open to interpretation? Well, um, pretty much everything I do in life is through the lens of my own interpretation. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in a religion where the original scripture is written in Arabic. I have no Arabic descent in my bloodline. I don't come from any Arabic family. I, I'm not fluent in Arabic. I don't. I can't have conversational Arabic with anybody aside from just a handful of phrases. I can only read a few simple things, and so, you know, I, I'm not a scholar of my religion. And so, when I'm reading my Quran, I'm reading an English translation, and there are words in there that still have not been translated to English because there is no English translation. And we also get find these same struggles with the Bible because the Bible was written in Koine Greek and Aramaic, which is ancient Hebrew, and so then they're translated into English, and so, I and obviously I can't say what all gets lost in translation, and so, yeah, I, I would say for myself, it's open to interpretation, because by default, everything I do is based on my interpretation of this, and just constantly asking for guidance from God if I'm reading this right, and if I'm applying this right. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, I, I probably would think a little differently. Um, I mean, I certainly think that, you know, every every believer should be studying their own faith and learning and, and trying to make what they will of it. Um, and, and obviously, there's different interpretation or different translations, and people have to interpret those. And, and there's words that, um, there's words in ancient Hebrew that we don't even know the meaning of and we don't have other languages to compare them to to figure out what that means so some of it sure you can say some of it's guesswork right right but i also believe that there are there are very smart people who can interpret that stuff people who have studied more of that stuff than me mm -hmm. um so personally i mean i believe that there is sort of a general interpretation of, you know, the Bible of creation of God's covenant with man and what we're supposed to do with it. Uh, in general, I believe that there's, you know, sort of a general interpretation that, that we need to follow that I follow as a Christian. Right. I don't necessarily believe that um, it's open for anybody to just pick up the Bible and say, okay, well, this means that, and that means that, because then you end up with what we have now, at least in Christianity is like, about 30,000 different denominations all doing different things. And um, a lot of it's just flat out wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's a certain limit of interpretation where you're just, you're just going way too far beyond the pale. Um, there definitely needs to be like a mutually agreed upon things. I mean, okay, for one, I, I don't really, I don't think I've met a single Christian who can, um, skew the Ten Commandments 
You know, it's like those are pretty fucking cut and dry. Right. Don't murder. Don't have any idols before God. Don't, you know, don't covet another man's wife. That's pretty damn cut and dry. Um, I think, I think where interpretation becomes a thing is like, if I remember correctly, I think there's a, like one of the laws in the Old Testament, like it's in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, and they're talking about how you can't mix like textures with your clothing. Right. Um, you know, maybe that's open to interpretation. I don't know. But when it comes right. to certain hard lines, those those need to be ironclad as far as, okay, right. if you stray outside of this and this is your habit, then you're no longer considered a Christian. Right. It's not that you're a different denomination of Christians, that you are not of Christ or you're not a Muslim. You're not practicing Islam. You're not practicing submission to God, which is what Islam ultimately means. Right. So I think, like most things in life, interpretation itself, there's there's limits on it. Yep. There, there's a standard Absolutely. that has to be adhered to. Right. And there's context with everything. You know, sure. you have to you have to understand the context. You can't just read read the words and not know anything else about it. You know, mm. it's it's there's so much more that goes into it and. You just have to pray that, you know, God gives you the wisdom and the discernment to, to know. Absolutely. Uh, the next question is, do you think 2020, do you think 2021 will go off the rails here at home by winter? Um, I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. Maybe he means like, do you think shit's going to finally hit the fan full tilt? Um Dude, I have no fucking idea. Um, I mean, it, it's certainly possible. There's a lot of, like, I can already feel, like, the social tension building up just here in campus with the fucking COVID, like, how they're trying to roach COVID on us. I mean, thankfully, they haven't mandated mask and vaccines, but, um, I mean, you and I were having a conversation with a circle earlier about what I'm experiencing just on my own end. And, um, you know, the social the social political climate's as hot as ever, and so the economy is is becoming very hard on us so by winter time it's certainly possible and i know there's a few guys in our circle who are predicting some potential catastrophes with health care coming up with flu season so um i i hope not but i don't honestly know yeah it's hard to say i saw i think it was on twitter there's a tweet someone someone um wrote and i think will spencer retweeted it or I, he's the one who he liked it or something. I saw it, but it basically said right now, what's going on right now either feels like it's all going to blow up like really fast or it's going to last for the rest of my life. Like it's like one or the other. Right. So like, you don't know, like, is, is there going to be some, you know, civil war that happens within the next couple months or is there going to be some, you know, mass casualty event from, you know, people who took the vaccine or is it just going to slowly descend into this you know government tyranny over the next several years like mm -hmm. even longer like i don't know you know i don't want i don't want those things to happen especially yeah, the, the catastrophic things like i have family members who have been vaccinated like i don't want any of them having any negative effects from, yeah. from the vaccine um i don't want you know stuff like the supply chain to collapse and people not have food because like well I mean, I live in the suburbs, like I don't have a farm, you know, <laughs> I don't have too much. Um, I have some, you know, stuff stored up in emergency, but like, I, you know, I, there's a limit to how long I could survive. Like, I don't want that stuff right. to happen. 
<clears throat> so do I think something's going to happen soon? I no, not necessarily in the next few years. I think things could probably get more tense, but yeah. I think we've probably got more time than, than some people might say. I, I would agree. Uh, it's a very valid concern and, you know, like you and I and the other men in our circle have always talked about to anyone who will listen, you know, pray for the best, but prepare for the worst. Right. Build your networks, right. learn to become self-sufficient, which means learning how to grow your own food, raise your own food, livestock, right. herb gardens, vegetable gardens, right. you know, networking with the local farmers and ranchers who run, you know, who have cattle and dairy products for you to live off of, read up on you know natural medicines and remedies you know and, and as far as flu season or people experiencing adverse effects from the vaccines well you know certainly i hope not you know i would i would hate for all of the thousands perhaps millions of you know young fertile women who have been vaccinated to have these miscarriage issues or sterility and you know the uh, the same thing for the men who have been vaccinated i would hate to find out that they've been sterilized that would just Man, that would piss me the fuck off. But anyways, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I agree. We should we should prepare. But my personal opinion is like we have more time than 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 you think. But you should still definitely be preparing yeah. for the worst. Yeah, I don't think we've hit the apocalypse. So, um, okay. So this next up, uh, this next question. Uh, speaking of Will Spencer, <laughs> when did you first discover that Ohio was fake? Well, I was born here. I was born in Ohio, so I guess you know the moment that I was I was born, I came into the world. I'm like, this place doesn't look real. So, <laughs> uh, I, I took Will on an adventure in Ohio, and he I almost convinced him it was real, but I don't yeah. think so. Where did you go to? Did you go to like Cuyahoga Valley, or no? Uh, we were in Hocking Hills State Park. It's um, it's a big uh, like state nature preserve area in southeast part of the state and it's it's beautiful it's it's awesome there so yeah i've never seen the photos they were, they were amazing yeah. um and our final question how does your experience in the military color your perception of civilians and civilian life um well i'll say for for myself um it's definitely made civilian life a lot easier for me because i've experienced so much hardship and deployments in my training that um, I'm better equipped to face the challenges of my civilian life, both in college and outside of it. I have a lot more inborn confidence in myself that I can persevere through pretty much anything. And as far as civilians, well, you know, I think civilians are a lot like the soldiers I served with. Some of them are the best people I've ever met in my life. They're they're just absolute blessings, and I love having them around me. And then some people, unfortunately, are total pieces of shit. And then most people are just kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, I don't see civilians any differently. I, th I think the military gave me a lot of skills um, to deal with with adverse situations mm -hmm. um, in life. I, I. I think people outside the military can definitely learn those experiences from other situations. Um, and I definitely agree with you that, yeah, there's awesome people in the military and there's crap people in the military. There's 
awesome people in the civilian world and there's crappy people in the civilian world. Um, I, I will say though, that I, I, one of the things that I've had struggles with in my transition from the military, um, to the civilian world is I feel like in the military, people cared more about the mission. Whereas in the civilian world, there's a lot of people who are just going along to get along and to get by not putting in their best effort and in the military it was, it was really easy to manage people and because people did people have to appeal to authority in the military right um and so it doesn't doesn't work that way at all um people are just motivated differently but um you, you just have to learn how uh what motivates different types of people and can kind of work with that because different people have different, you know, motivations. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. This was great. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for, um, first off, man, like just thank you for being my friend and being in this, you know, this, this like Renaissance, this Renaissance of men and, being a part of this movement and, you know, us becoming the best version of ourselves, pushing each other to be as, as good as possible and propagating, you know, good, so like, like good cultural changes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're welcome. And thank you also. And, and I think that's what it, that's what it takes is just a lot of us coming together with similar ideas and just kind of pushing consistent messages, pushing, positivity, pushing, you know, aesthetics, pushing just truth in the face of the lies and deceit that are going on in the world. And I think that we're empowering each other. Um, and it's so hard in, in today's day and age to connect with people um, in the real world. And, you know, so to find communities that help that, you know, facilitate that it was just really meaningful yeah absolutely and man i'm i'm so glad that you started the christian war journal because i really really enjoy reading your blogs i mean dude they're so damn good they're you know they're exciting to read you know sometimes like sometimes it's hard for me to get into like classic literature that i know is very famous like cormac mccarthy is very hard for me to read for example even though he's objectively a great writer but right. like, I try to read through Blood Meridian, Blood Meridian, and I'm like, dude, I can't get through this. It's just like it's hard. <laughs> but then, like, I read your blog, and it's like, not only is it very enriching, it's very thoughtfully written, it's very eloquent, but it's also enjoyable for me to read. And so, you know, your writing style really resonates with me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're very welcome, brother. So, um, thank you all for listening to us. And I pray that God blesses each and every one of you in all that you do. And if we've said anything that benefits you at all, then the glory goes to God. And if we've said anything that offends you or causes any negativity, then the fault is all on us. So we'll see you next time. And God bless you all. Thank you.